Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Glad to have you in this new year, 2020. Hope all is going well and you settled your debates, whether this is a new decade or not. And I'm still on the fence. Hey, got a great show for you today. Jeremy Nunes joins us today via phone, via the Zoom Hangout. And uh, Jeremy's a guy I met three or four years ago through the Christian Comedy Association. Funny guy who does that comedy for corporate events, churches, you name it. Clean show. Kind of calls it front porch comedy. You know, comedy you can sit around and share with friends. And uh, does a great job doing that. And also offers quite a bit of insight for us today on uh, how he put together a live taping, recording for DVD slash to release to streaming and where he's at in that process, what he learned, what he wished he would maybe done differently, and uh, how he's looking forward to it all coming out here pretty soon. So if you're thinking about recording a project this year, definitely worth listening to Jeremy for that today. And also, he was a ta- he was a mayor of his town, Dawson, Illinois, just outside of Springfield. And we talked briefly about that and maybe what a mayor and a comedian could have in common. Because there are a few different uh, comedians out there that have been in political office similar to what Jeremy's doing. So all that's coming up in just a second. Thanks to all the Patreon supporters out there who keep this podcast rolling and uh, help fund it, help fund the editing done by our wonderful Doc Kennedy. Doc, thanks again for uh, helping out with the podcast. And this week, our uh, Patreon supporter, our Patreon sponsor, is Edward Rubin. Edward, thanks for joining us for the new year for the podcast. Look forward to uh, getting to know you in our next Zoom Hangout, which, hey, let me grab the calendar right now. Let's go ahead and put one on the books. If you've never joined a Hangout, this is for people pledging $7 or more per month, like Edward's doing. And let's just say Saturday, January 18th at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's 10 a.m. January 18th Central Standard Time is going to be our Hangout. So if you want to join us for that, we'd be more than happy to have you. If you're a Patreon supporter, pledging 7 bucks a month or more, you'll get an email about it. But thought I would mention that while we got your ears. Uh, let's see. I guess that's it for right now. I do want to say a special thanks to the folks that came out and attended the Master Laughter class. We had... An absolute blast, and it allowed me to teach in a longer form how speakers and uh, and different instructors, preachers, you name it, can take comedy and insert it in very strategically specific points of your program. And man, did we get into the nuts and bolts of that. And I believe everybody walked out with some uh, knowledge and some practical applications that they're already emailing me back and tell me about how they're planning on using it in their program. So uh, thanks to everybody who participated in that. And we'll do another one of those, uh, if not a couple, before the end of the year. So if you missed out, was wondering what it's about, I'll talk more about that on a future episode. Okay, enough blabbing. Let's get into it now with Jeremy Nunes. Cool. Well, I'm on the phone with Jeremy Nunes. I met Jeremy, I'm trying to think of how many years ago it was at a, a Christian Comedy Association conference. Was it I was going to say three or four, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Right away, I could tell he was a laid back guy and had fun. But 
since I've known him, I've learned other things. And I'm going to start with the mayor thing because I think it's really interesting. How long were you a mayor? Where were you? And uh, what got you into that in the first place? Well, I was mayor of Dawson, Illinois. And so uh, it's right outside of Springfield. And uh, how I got into it was I've been a, com- a comedian since 02 and uh, full time since 07. And what was happening, I was, I was traveling around all over the country. And, and Rick, you know, you see, uh, you see amazing small towns as you travel through. And I kept thinking, man, why does my town not compare to these towns? Why, why can't it be any better? And so I don't know, there's a comedian up the road a little bit here named Dr. Gonzo, if that mm-hmm. rings a bell to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. He kind of essentially went through the same thing and ran for alderman in his town several years back. I got to talking with him and he's like, well, why don't you run to get on the town board? I was like, okay, it's kind of just a once a month commitment. So got in uh, on the town board. And then from there, I was on the board for two years. It had been 2011 to 2013. And then uh, the incumbent mayor had been in for 24 years, I want to say, and had a lot of people pushing me to run. I really didn't want to run, but eventually I got enough pressure to do it. The election day was 2013, April. Election day was four days before my wedding. Oh, (laughs) So my wife was super nervous because she's like, well, he's going to be really happy at the wedding or really angry. at the wedding. <laughs> But I carried 80% of the vote wow. in that. And so I was mayor for four years and then uh, had enough. <laughs> Hung it up. Didn't run for re-election. So, yeah. I can imagine that phone rings a lot for a lot of nonsense as well as important things. But just uh, a total commitment of time. You know, there's no downtime when you're the mayor. I'm, even in a small town, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And just the, the level of complaints that you get, now, now this is a town of 500, so at different levels of, of city government, there's always d- different officials. You've got like health inspector or chief of police, liquor commissioner. In my, I was all of those things. Right. <laughs> in my dad. So I was building inspector. <laughs> you know, oh what do goodness. I know? I'm like, well, yeah, if, if you think it looks good, we'll go with it. <laughs> All right. So like some of the complaints people would, there was a, an abandoned house and people were complaining about the smell of this house. Well, they figure out there's a family of skunks living in there. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and this guy says, well, Jeremy, you need to get in there and uh, get those skunks out of there. You're the, you're the animal control officer. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, no, I, I don't want to. He's like, just get a gun and then get in there and just shoot them up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even a bit, Rick. That's that's legit. That's great, man. It should probably be a bit, you know. <laughs> just all yeah, all those hats you wear. That's pretty incredible. Well, we might jump back into that a little bit at some point. But I, just, I wanted to get the backstory on that. Because like you say, we both know Drew Hastings. And he, he was a uh, mayor, just wrapped up his thing. I know another comic, Dan Swartout, who's very active in his area up in Columbus, Ohio. And so what do you think it is about comedians that people could see them as a mayor? Is it just that we're good at problem solving or faking it till we make it through a problem? Or what, what do you think is a complimentary skill set? You know, I think as comedians, it's our job to find a way to take a room full of people and unite them. And so uh, I had a quote on my desk when I was mayor, Martin Luther King, a true leader molds a consensus. And so essentially, you're unifying a group of people to understand why your viewpoint is the correct viewpoint. So just like when you're on stage, 
you've got to get everybody to believe that what you're talking about is is real and relatable and they're coming along with you. And likewise with mayor, same thing. And especially small towns, you're approached so often, you have to have to be able to to relate and get along with everybody. Even if secretly you don't, you gotta fake it. Now take me back to when you uh when you started comedy and take me back to what was going on right before you started dipping your toe into it and what made you think about doing it the first time. You know, I was always intrigued to do it. And uh, from when I was a little kid watching uh, Fozzie on the Muppets and he'd he'd try to tell his jokes and get the tomatoes thrown at him. I'd be like, I think I'm funnier than that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Or the hand that's up his face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, I always wanted to do it. Well, and then, of course, I uh, got a little older, you know, out of high school, into college, and then uh, never really had the nerve to do it. Of, of course, the hardest part is, is having the, the guts to actually just get up on the stage and do it. And uh, eventually, I had some friends that uh, just really pushed me and said, you got to do it. You got to do it. So I did. And I uh, got on stage that first night. And... I loved Chris Farley. So essentially, I was just doing Chris Farley bits, falling down and stuff. And uh, like nobody's laughing. They're just looking at me. Got done. And I was like, all right, well, I'll never do that again. Right. <laughs> right. And then it took me a year, but eventually got the nerve to go back up again. So in a one-year hiatus, went from nobody laughing to winning a comedy contest. And so that was my second time on stage. And then from there, there was a guy who owned a bar like the, the next town over and is trying to do comedy. So he's rounding up a few open mic guys, mm-hmm. uh, hired me to do that. And so that would have been the first time I actually got paid. And then from there, the club where I won the contest hired me to like be the MC or something. And then, you know, a little bit of snowball from there. That's cool. And that year hiatus, had, was it kind of in the back of your mind for a while where you're writing some ideas down or what, what did you do that that second time? That was so drastically different than the first, besides probably not falling down as much. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. I think the difference was I was just doing what I had written rather than uh, Chris Farley bits, just changing the words a little bit. Yeah. But in reality, I always wanted to be an improv comic. And I was really a fan of Ryan Stiles just because he was the other tall guy. So I was like, oh, well, eventually he's going to be too old to do that stuff. They're going to need another tall guy in there. That's my that's my spot. So got in a little bit of improv uh, in college and then. In the summers between college, I would go back and forth to Chicago and, and train at Second City. And then after I graduated college, I actually moved up there uh, to be with Second City and Improv Olympic after that. That's pretty cool. Isn't it funny how, like, I was just thinking when you said, you know, they'll need another tall guy. When I was in college, uh, and even before college, high school, I guess, Dennis Miller was the weekend update guy on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And I went to college to be like a news guy. I was, you know, but I found out after four years, they weren't hiring anchors with mullets. <laughs> so, and a bit of advice I got, which would be good for, for somebody who uh, seems like they're stuck. I didn't know what to do because my plan all along was to work my way up through these booking agencies, work the clubs, headline, and then have enough of a skill developed that I could transition into corporate and do corporates for these same booking agencies. And Dobie Maxwell, if you know him, mm-hmm. I told him my plan. And he said, Jeremy, don't go through them, go around them. And so I started finding ways to market directly to corporate events mm-hmm. and directly to churches in order for them to just hire me directly rather than go through those booking agencies. I started to figure it out. And from there, uh, and you know this, a lot of times one show leads to another because somebody in the audience has a business elsewhere or a guy in the church 
his brothers is a, a preacher down the road, you know, and just one thing leads to another. And so that's how that really built up. That's great. This is the number one question I get, and I don't market to churches. If, you know, if they call me, I'm definitely going, we'll make it work one way or the other. But for people that are trying to connect with churches who've never seen them or heard them, or there's no mutual friend, to me, it seems like a, a pretty tough thing. Is there, is there one thing you've done that would be advice to somebody who's trying to pursue that angle? Well, it's, it's kind of a which came first sort of thing, because I think what really helps, helps me is I have a ton of letters of recommendation from other churches. And so with churches, their biggest concern is handing the microphone to a stranger and what's going to happen. So when I started, I think I had, I had my preacher maybe put something together. So at least they had one. And then uh, when I kind of pushed it, well, see here, I got, I got this letter from this preacher. I didn't tell him it was my preacher, you know, but I, this guy liked me. <laughs> so eventually get hired. And those letters go a long way. Sometimes uh, what I do too is if, if we can't agree on a fee, say I'm, I'm a little bit higher than somebody else, I'll even say, okay, I'll come down, but you got to give me a letter of recommendation and uh, you got to refer me to another church. And then that costs them zero out of pocket, but, but those are really cost beneficial down the road for you. And let's talk about creating some of your opportunities. I know last year you recorded a video to put out digitally. Tell me about that process. You know, first off, what your goal with it was, and then putting together the tech part of it, maybe a little bit, and then, you know, what you liked from it and then what you maybe do again different. So that's four questions. So if you you just think about the first one, what was the inspiration? Then I'll walk you through the others as we go. Well, I feel like if you've got a special, it brings some legitimacy to you uh, and it kind of elevates you above the crowd. So with that, it gives you reason to charge a little bit more, first of all. And then events where you're doing a, a door deal, a little bit more name recognition, or even if not name recognition, the legitimacy when people look at the flyer and go, oh, he's well, he's got a special. I'd pay to see that guy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks were telling me, you know, even if you get it on distribution, you're not going to make your money back. The most of the money you make is going to come from like DVD sales at the back of the room at the end of the night sort of thing. But I didn't care about that. I was looking a step further and seeing how I was going to indirectly make this money back through the, through the ticket sales and then and raising my rate and all that good stuff. Gotcha. So yeah, thing, and also having an incredible video to use for any promo that you do and all that stuff to go along with it. Right. And I've, I've always had a hard time getting good video because I'm so tall that my head <laughs> is up in a spotlight. And so every recording I do, the top half of my head, I'm bald. The top half of my head is just a white glare. Yeah. I'm starting to get into the same uh, spot you are is, is the top part of my head's very uh, shiny when I do these videos. And so I'm going to wear a hat or start putting pancake makeup on my forehead. So when I do a video, it's not just this big gaping hole. Is that what you're saying? Right. There we go. And so I had to, I learned you have to kind of adjust, adjust the brightness level on your phone, which helped a little bit uh, or the brightness level on your camera if you're doing that, but it helped a little bit, but still not exactly right. Uh, So when we did the special, you know, I have like legitimate guys that know what they're doing in there with legitimate top level camera and like significant lighting and all that good stuff. So all together, it makes for a much better package. Yeah. And so where did you hold your recording at? Uh, we filmed in uh, Lincoln Christian Church in Lincoln, Illinois. And the reason I did it there is I worked with uh, Kevin Hackenberg, if you know, he produced it. 
I wanted to do it at least generally close to my area so I could draw my hometown fans. So I put together a list of all the churches I performed at in the area and then sent photos of the stages to Kevin. Then from there, he narrowed it down to which ones looked right. Then from there, we reached out to each of them and then there were two willing to do it. One, just kind of acting like they're, they're willing, Lincoln was pushing that they wanted it to happen. That's great. And so I knew, oh, you need people that are, there's so much, it's, I, I compared it to like your wedding day. There's so much going on. You need so many hands involved to make this thing work and all the money involved. And so if you've got a place that wants it to happen there, I knew we'd have an army of volunteers to, to put things together. Great. And what did you do to get the, the word out and sell tickets? Just, just to give people an idea of ticket price. I did the tickets for free because I wanted to make sure that people would come. Mm-hmm. And so the church itself promoted it to their members, you know, through the Sunday mornings and their bulletins and emails and all that good stuff. And we could have been done at, at that because after the, they took their first Sunday, they announced it. They did. They took care of the ticket sales and everything themselves. So after they made the announcement, we had moved something like 200 tickets for the first show and 300 for the late show. And, and Kevin, the producer, had told me, as long as we get 100 people, I can make it look like the room's full. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was good enough, but I still wanted to pack it in order to you know, get bigger laughter and whatnot. But so from there, I did you know, my email blast. I did Facebook ads. And I'm, I'm lucky my wife's a graphic designer, so she can put together some really nice flyers and stuff for me. So I took those flyers and posted them to like town Facebook groups that were sort of in the area. And I'd post it and say... Not every day a comedian films a TV special 10 miles up the road. Don't miss it. That's cool. And then you go, whoa, I got, you know, I'll go. And then they're tagging their friends. Boom, 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 boom. And then I said, my goal is to make a church have to turn people away at the door. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's great, man. And, and it is smart to do two tapings just in case you mess up on a bit. The first one or sometimes... You know, every show is a little different. So one joke might land great the first show and not at all the second. So you've got those to cut back and forth between and, and give your editor some choices. And, and Kevin's a great producer editor as far as video is concerned. He, he knows his stuff. So that was smart bringing him in, having a church willing to do it, excited to do it, do two shows. And did you bring an opener in to kind of loosen people up before you hit the stage? What was the, the show itself like? You know, I wanted to, but I couldn't find anybody in the area I trusted to do a church event and I didn't want to pay somebody to like uh Lee Harden if you know I I love him uh but I didn't want to pay Lee you know to come all the way up from Nashville in the middle of Illinois just to do 10 minutes to open for me so what I did is I came out and sort of did the the getting to know you uh how about a round of applause for for these people that worked hard these people and told folks just kind of a little about myself and what was happening. And then I did like five street jokes just to get people laughing and relaxed. And then said, all right, if you guys are ready, I'm ready. What do you say? Yeah. And then so I walk off the stage and then they, they introduced me and I hit the stage from there. So you don't have to do, do that sort of saying hello and, and loosening people up at the top of your set that way. No, I think that's great. And I see that. At the TV show warm up on, you know, Mike Huckabee comes out and he'll talk to the audience for 10 minutes before the show starts just so he can genuinely thank them for coming out and make a little connection with them. And then the show starts and he comes back out and they're like, oh, yeah, it's the guy we saw 10 minutes ago. 
but now <laughs> the show is starting. So I think that's pretty cool. And a lot of, I think a lot of comics wouldn't want to do that because they, they think that, you know, the, it's the pent up excitement of here he comes on stage. But I think there's a great connection that's missed out on sometimes. And of course, you can't start your special with going, hey, Bobby, good to see you. Thanks for coming down from you. Know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also put you at ease probably a little bit going, OK, I've already seen him. And I, I know what it sounds like. I know where the cameras are. It gives you a quick you know, point of reference for when you do come out on stage. Yeah. And what also helped with that is. At that point, so Kevin's behind the camera. He's got his assistant producer watching things. So as I'm standing, doing my talking, doing the, the quick street jokes, they're watching to make sure the lighting is still perfect, the makeup is correct, the mics are correct. That way, I'm not in the middle of my first or second joke and they have to interrupt everything. Yeah, it's a great little way to do a dry run, warm up the crowd at the same time. Have you got the final mix back and everything from that? No, I didn't realize. We've kind of gone back and forth. They send me like the finished video part of it without the, the sound fixed up yet. Mm -hmm. And then and I approved the order of that. And I said, oh, wait, well, I noticed, oh, I didn't like that shot because of this. I didn't like that shot. So then it goes back to them. Then they, after they do their stuff, then it comes back to me. So there's so much back and forth I didn't realize. Our goal was to be done December 31, but really my fault, we had to push it to January 31 because they'd send it to me in December, which, you know, Rick, is, is the prime <laughs> corporate time i didn't have time to sit and watch right. uh, our show you know by the time you gotta hit stop and write down what you noticed that this time queue and whatever it takes a few hours to get through it so we've pushed it to january 31 to actually be done with it gotcha and you like what you've seen so far oh yeah yeah it looks great that's great cool man so so moving forward down the road you've got this project that's gonna be wrapping up pretty soon so you'll have tons of video from that to promote yourself and have you looked at where you'll put it out, distribution, you know, distribution-wise? There's a lot of a lot of different avenues now, but I've never walked through those waters to see that process at all between the Amazon Primes and the Pure Flixes, and then or or just having it behind a a paywall on your own site. Like I don't even know where you start. Yeah, I've been in touch with uh, with Wayne from CCA Zietner. He's been really helpful in guiding that process. So I think the route it's going to end up going is going to end up on Amazon. I'm cool with it if it gets on a pure flicks too, and he can even get hard copies into the hundreds of family-owned bookstores that are out there still. So between all that, that, that'll go quite a long way. Now, you would ask something I would kind of think about or what I may, may not have recognized ahead of time. The one thing, uh, I, I'm super organized, been in the business a long time. The one thing. I, that completely slipped my mind was I needed a makeup person. And it didn't hit me until I was filming Dry Bar, their opening night of uh, the fifth season, first weekend of September. And they had me sit down for makeup. And then it hit me. Yeah. I didn't get a makeup guy. And it was like two weeks out from when I was going to film. And so uh, I scramble around. I reached out to a lady that I knew did a lot of like, had a hand in a lot of theater stuff in the area. And I didn't want a theater makeup person because it's two totally different things. But right. I wondered if she'd at least know somebody. So she referred me to, to somebody who did it for TV. And then she wasn't available. And then I was trying like the local news stations to see if they had somebody. And I fi find out most of them just do their own. And then some people referred me to like some, some makeup studios in the area. Uh, and they didn't have people available because it's the middle of fall and people are doing weddings and it was like homecoming weekend and all that stuff. So everybody's booked. And eventually a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend <laughs> find a guy who used to do makeup for 
the, the Dallas morning news and he happened to be back in the area because it was uh, some, some family event. So he happened to be around and uh, the makeup people, they're true pros apparently have their makeup stuff with them all the time. So uh, he said he could make it happen. And so another big part about, I mentioned being on stage at the very beginning there, they recognized the makeup wasn't exactly perfect. And what, so when I was up there, I wrap up, say, okay, if you guys are ready, I'm ready. And then Kevin runs up, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, uh, we noticed a little bit of issue. <laughs> but what happened was he did makeup for my face and sort of right under my jawline, but not down my neck. And they said that's really common for people who do makeup in news. They don't have to do the guy's neck because the guys have a collared shirt that buttons around their neck. And so... I went back and told the guy, he's like, oh, I totally forgot. I'm used to that because of the you know, yeah. same thing. But otherwise, it uh, went really smooth and everything was great. So I will tell people, if you're wearing the makeup, it looks weird when you're looking in the camera. I was, I was like, it looked like the dead guy in the coffin, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it looks it looked just great on TV, though. I don't know the, the magic behind it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, I'll get occasionally made up for a dry bar or a TV thing like that. and it's, Or even when I'm doing my demo videos for my speeches, I'll, I'll get a makeup person to come in and just like even stuff out. So I'm not blocked here or whatever. And as a guy, I'm like, ah, do I have to do this? But it does help out a lot. Especially I tend to not sleep great the night before I record something. And oh, so yeah. help me out with my eyeballs here a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily I'm wearing glasses a lot now. So that takes care of a lot of the, the, sh <laughs> the shadows in my eyes, just block them. But it is definitely something to think about. Well, cool, man. A lot of great tips in there today. Is there a one parting thought you'd like to, I know you listen to the show, which is great. And I thank you for that. So, you know, if you're th putting yourself in somebody's driving around their car right now or on the treadmill and they're maybe a couple years into it, maybe even still got their daytime job, anything that's helped you out that you wish you would have known earlier? I, I have two, two big pointers. So uh, the first is, I'm sure it happened for you too. For me, uh, a lot of the old road dog comics took me out on the road with them. They'd throw some nuggets of advice my way. I compare it to when you have a kid for the first time and everyone you know has advice for you. I listened to what everyone had to say. Maybe I didn't agree with it, but I listened. And so what a lot of those, those guys told me is when you're ready, you pass it on. Well, I try to pass it on to guys and it seems like they don't want to listen. So that's my first bit of advice that you may not agree, but at least listen because something may be relevant later on. The other is about when you have the day job, when you're trying to do comedy, you're going to need random times off and people are going to have to cover shifts and all that sort of thing. So what I tell guys is be the guy willing to work on the holiday weekend, be the guy willing to work Christmas Eve, because then people are going to owe you when on a random Friday or Saturday you need off, they're going to cover that shift because you cover for them on, on Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving weekend or whatever it was. That's great. Cause I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. I, and I know a lot of comics that are kind of on the edge of going full time and they've got the, the daytime job. And, you know, sometimes you get a call that afternoon. And even I've called a few people and said, Hey, I, I could use an opener tonight for this graduation show at Zany's. And like, Oh, I'm at work. Let me see if I can get off. But if yeah. you're the guy that's helping out all the time, they're like, Yeah, man, you had me for whatever. Go ahead. Makes it a little bit easier. And your boss, seeing that you're the team player, uh, is more likely to go, Okay. I, yeah. It'll all shake out in the end. Sure. That's great. Absolutely. And Jeremy, for people that don't know you and want to know more and want to keep in touch with you as far as uh, social media or your website, or especially when your special comes out, I want people to, to be able to connect with you. 
to find out more about that. And if you let me know, I'll announce it on the, on the show too, for people that have heard you. Hey, Jeremy's thing's out now, but where would you like to send people staking? Well, uh, my website, jeremynunez.com, N-U-N-E-S. Uh, Facebook is my name, Jeremy Nunez. So is Twitter, at Jeremy Nunez. You can be, be one of the tens of followers. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you only need 500 to be mayor. You only need 50 to have a follower. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thanks a lot, bud. All right. Thanks, Rick. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Jeremy. Lots of good advice in there and looking forward to seeing his project when it comes out, whether it be on Amazon or another streaming thing or picking it up at the local family bookstore. We'll see. Hey, thanks, Jeremy, again for doing that. And thanks to Edward Rubin for sponsoring the podcast along with all of our Patreon supporters. Couldn't do it without you. Wouldn't be doing it without you. And looking forward to talking to those of you who pledge $7 or a month or more to uh, our next Hangout. And we'll be meeting on January 18th, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on Zoom. You'll get an invite if you're in that group. And uh, we'll be discussing a few different things that will be helping you in this new year. Not specifically goals, but mindsets on how you can approach comedy this year that can take you a little further than perhaps in the past. So won't get too specific here. There'll be more specific information in your email that you'll get about that. Okay, that's it. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks again, Edward. Thanks, Doc Kennedy. Y'all take care out there. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.